We continue our series that uh, is entitled Flourish. We're trying to uh, do our best to track with uh, what the children's ministry will be doing this summer with uh, Vacation Bible School and on Sunday mornings. I thought about this just a second ago. A number of years ago when Tiger Woods was at his height of popularity, he was in Turkey and he was doing a publicity stunt and he was uh, hitting a golf ball uh, across a bridge that went from Europe to Asia. And the idea was uh, Tiger Woods can hit a golf ball so far it can go from one continent to another. Now the way that's relevant is that Paul goes from one continent to another and something dramatic happens. From Asia to Europe and the Lord continues to astound those who really dig into His Word, and we seek to do that this morning. So Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse five, or 6. Acts 16, 6. And they, that is Paul, Silas, <clears throat> Timothy, and Luke, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. But when they had come up to Mythia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they passed from Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household did well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. For years, Harry Trueshirt was a successful publisher. <clears throat> he made a lot of money, made a lot of uh, fame for himself and his family, and then one day it all blew up. His wife wrote a note and said, I'm gone and I'm never coming back. Harry tried to go back to work and he couldn't, couldn't focus. And so he liquidated all of his assets and he took off in the car and he drove aimlessly for thousands of miles. After three or four weeks, he, it was getting near nightfall and he came to a little country church. There was a light on in the upstairs and the downstairs, and for whatever reason, he wasn't very religious. He he stopped his car, and he went to the front door, and he 
pushed on the door and it opened. He went inside and he couldn't find anybody. He thought, this is strange, lights are on and nobody's home. So he walked down to the basement where the other light was on and nobody was there in this room but a table with chairs and he sat down and put his head in his hands and he began to think to himself, what's become of me? I mean, I have no wife, I have no life, no future. And then a thought crossed his mind that had never crossed his mind before. He thought, I should just end it all. And he began to think about how. And through his tears, he looked at the wall, and there was a big poster on the wall, and there was a man seated at a table with his head in his hands, tears streaming down his face, just like him. And then in the lower right corner was a cross. And under the cross was a sentence that said, I know how you feel. I've been there too. And Harry had his heart opened by Jesus that night. Nobody else around. He came to know Jesus that night. With no one there but Harry and Jesus. And suddenly he realized my, li- my wife left me. so that I might drive aimlessly for thousands of miles and come to this little church so that I might meet Jesus. It's been said that when Paul founded churches, he did it with the eye of a strategist. If that's true, then Luke is a liar. I mean, when you come to the 16th chapter of Acts... You see that Paul and these others come to a town called Philippi that had already been a major industrial, commercial powerhouse. It was at the crossroads of Asia and Europe, founded 400 years earlier by the father of Alexander the Great, whose name was Philip. He named this city Philippi. It was a Roman colony. That meant that everywhere in that city that people mingled around or did any work, they were under the rule of law founded by Rome. The truth is, Paul had no interest in going there. He had determined to stay in Asia. He didn't want to go. You know why he went? Because God told him to go. And God told him to go because of a woman by the name of Lydia. Think of this. The first person to preach the gospel after the resurrection of Jesus is a woman. Mary Magdalene. A woman out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. 
And the first person to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Europe is a woman, Lydia. Before the conversion of the jailer in Philippi, Lydia comes to Christ. And her conversion affects the whole future of the gospel in Europe. And the reason why Luke is telling us about Lydia is because her life story and her conversion exemplifies what Jesus Christ desires to do in every life, including yours and mine. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the sovereignty. Look at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now the plural pronouns are important. I've just defined them already. The us and the we refer to four men. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And in verse 10... Luke tells us how they were led to go to Europe. Paul has no intention of going there. He is convinced that God is leading them to go into Asia. In fact, the word Luke uses to describe God's intersection with Paul's will is the word in Greek that's translated to hinder. It literally means to stop dead in your tracks. And so what Luke is telling us is Paul, who is the leader of this band of brothers, desires to go to Asia, and God the Holy Spirit stops him dead in his tracks. Now there are elaborate theories as to why Paul didn't go into Asia. Some say it was because of his, his thorn in the flesh, his illness. He couldn't go into Asia because of some physical ailment. Yet Luke doesn't tell us that. Some say he doesn't go into Asia because there are so many enemies of the gospel there. There'd be a, a major conflagration, but that's not what Luke tells us. Every one of those theories, and there are others, they deny what Luke is telling us here. What Luke is telling us is the Holy Spirit is in charge. There is so little self-will in Paul that he has ears that hear what God's saying and he has eyes to see what God's saying. He's so humble, he understands an important truth and that is that God's no is often a prelude to his yes. Remember the prayer that was found on the Confederate soldier's body on the battlefield at Gettysburg? I asked God for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might learn to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. He gave me infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that, he might, that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel my need for God. I got nothing that I asked for and everything that I needed. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people most blessed. Isn't that a great prayer to have on your body when you <laughs> lie dead on a battlefield in Gettysburg? 
in the space of four verses, Luke tells us three times God says no to Paul. In verse 6, Luke says the Holy Spirit forbid us from going east. In verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus stopped us. And in verse 9, God gives Paul a vision of a Macedonian man urging him to come west. Why is God so emphatic? Why does God want Paul and Silas, Timothy, and Luke to go to Philippi? There's only one reason. It all starts with Lydia. I mean, think of this. When Satan comes to the first person in the garden, he comes to Eve. And what does he do? He asks a question. Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, that's a lie. And he deceives Eve with a lie. Throughout the balance of the Old Testament, you hear about Eve's sin in being deceived over and over again. In the law of Israel, a woman was less significant than a man. In the law of Israel, a woman could not testify in court. In the law of Israel, a man ruled over his wife. That's what the culture said. That's what every rabbi said. Women are inferior. That's what everybody said until Jesus. Have you ever looked at the ministry of Jesus and his view of women? He treats men and women exactly the same. No rabbi did that. And who is the first person that he entrusts the gospel to upon his resurrection? It's a woman. And here after his ascension, who's the first person he entrusts the gospel with in Europe? It's a woman. Her name is Lydia. Second, notice the society. Look at verse 14. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. According to the law of Israel, if there were ten Jewish men in a certain area, they had to found a synagogue. And Luke says when Paul and these others get to Philippi, there's no synagogue, meaning there's, there's no Jews. So what do they do? They go down by the river to a place they suppose is a place of prayer. And who do they find there? A group of women. And these women are engaged in cleansing themselves. These women are engaged in offering prayers of penance and petition. These women are women who are seeking the God of Israel. And Luke says when Paul begins to speak the gospel to them, one of them is changed. Luke tells us that the Lord opens her heart. Luke says the Lord opens the heart of a woman whose name means beautiful light. In other words, what 
Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is all about the light of the gospel, the light of the world, the light of Jesus, and that same light shines into the heart of Lydia that has been opened by the Lord's power. Just like the paralytic at the pool where the Holy Spirit directs that one man be healed. Just like one man being knocked off his horse and blinded, his name was Saul on the road to Damascus. There are others with him, but only one was chosen. So it is here. One woman out of the group of other women that aren't even named, one woman named Lydia, has her heart opened by the power of Jesus Christ. Now think of this. Paul is stopped dead in his tracks by Jesus. He is sent to the west by a vision of a Macedonian man. He must have concluded that when that Macedonian man said, come over here, God intended for them to preach the gospel to men. But who is the first person that has her heart opened by the power of the Holy Spirit? It's a woman named Lydia. You know why? Because the Gospel is all about reconciliation. It's all about breaking down the walls and barriers that divide. According to the law of Israel, no Jewish man was to be seen speaking to a woman in public unless that woman was part of his household. According to Roman law, anybody worshiping a god other than Caesar is to be condemned by death. So look what the Gospel does when it comes to Philippi. It breaks every rule. It shatters every human divide. When Jesus opens the heart of Lydia, it is to the truth of the Gospel, which is this. In Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female. We are all one in Jesus Christ. God sovereignly establishes a new society in which we are all one in Christ and we are one for all in Christ. I mean, this is dramatic. God doesn't play by our rules. Even the rules that we make that are religious in praise of God, God says, don't you dare box me in. For in Christ there are no such divisions. You are one. Third, notice the service. Look at verse 15. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You know what the word prevailed literally means? It means to convince against your will. She is so insistent that they receive hospitality from her that she basically grabs them around the throat and says, you're staying with me. You know, for 30 years, Oliver Wendell Holmes was an associate justice of the Supreme Court. It said that in terms of wisdom and wit and intellectual horsepower, there was nobody like Holmes. Maybe he was as great as John Marshall. 
at the height of his career, he was asked by a reporter, how did you make a decision to study law? He said this, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew hadn't looked and acted so much like undertakers. Sorry, Chuck. <laughs> What's he mean? He means I went into studying the law because I decided that was what I should do. That's 180 degrees from Lydia. When God opens her heart, she receives the gospel. There is no mention of what she desires. Before that, there's no mention of what Paul said, or how Paul looked, or how Paul acted. When the Lord opened her heart, she pays no attention to anyone but Jesus. Did you know that purple didn't come easily as a color? The color came from Mediterranean shellfish, crustaceans. It is said in antiquity it took a thousand crustaceans to die to make one yard of purple fabric. The emperor of Rome had an entire toga that was purple. Only the wealthy could afford purple. There was no more elegant, exquisite color in antiquity than purple. If you wore purple, it meant you were filthy rich and you probably were royalty. So she's 400 miles from home. She lives in a culture that's much like ours, that worships the rich and famous. She travels with them. She sells fabric to them. She lives in a culture that where work happens seven days a week. There, there is no concept of the Sabbath. And yet here is this wealthy woman who on the Sabbath is not working. She's down by the river praying. She sets aside her pursuit of fame and fortune to worship God. Look what happens. The Lord opens her heart to hear the gospel. And immediately, immediately she's willing to risk everything that she has for Jesus and His people. She says to them, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, you know what that literally means in, in Greek? If you've judged me to be truly believing, if you really think I'm serious, Come to my house and stay. There are virtually no other Jews in that city. Anybody who's a Christian worshiping Jesus as God is under a death sentence. When you came into the city of Philippi, there was an arch made of stone, and in that stone were inscribed the words, No God worshiped here other than Caesar. These Christians were considered enemies of Rome. And yet, look what Lydia is willing to do. She's willing to give up her business. She's willing to house Jewish men who've become Christians. And she's become Christians. She's willing to offer them a place of safety. She's willing to put her life on the line for these brothers. Do you see this? Talk about radical transformation. I mean, she's willing to break every rule and every custom for the sake of the gospel. 
She's willing to do anything she can for Jesus and for these men. This week, I got a call from a man who came to know Christ 50 years ago through the witness of my father. And when he called, I said, hi, Joe, how are you? And he said, I'm blessed by Jesus and everything else is fluff. That's what Lydia would say. Come stay with me. I mean, that is bold. And you know what happens in her house? In less than a chapter, you find that there's a church that's formed in her house. I mean, think of the change. She goes from selling purple to royalty. She sells cloth that's been dyed by the death of shellfish. And now she's willing to give all of her wealth to the one who died to change her heart. She's willing to spend the rest of her life bankrolling the ministry of the gospel of Jesus so that thousands of others might hear the gospel of Jesus, including us here in this place in Penn Hills today. Now I think of that man in the basement of that country church. He suddenly realizes, you know, it took my wife leaving me and all of these aimless miles of driving to get, exa get me exactly where God wanted me to be. You know where that is? The same place Jesus drives Lydia. Not to serve herself, but to serve others. Not just to love herself, but to love others just as she loves herself. To live the gospel with all of the risk for Jesus Christ. Now think of this. Without the prodding of the Holy Spirit, Paul would never have come to Philippi. He would never have gotten to the river. And if he never got to the river, Lydia might never have gotten to Jesus. And if Lydia had never gotten to Jesus, the church in Philippi may never have started. And if the church in Philippi had never started, we might never know the full effect of what it means to have a purple heart. She had a purple heart. She's willing to die for the one who died for her. What's the cost of discipleship? Everything. What's the fruit of paying that price? It's incalculable. You and I are a direct result of the Holy Spirit opening Lydia's heart. I'd say she paid the price very well. Might you and I do the same? Loving Jesus and loving others. May it be so. Amen.